Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 28th of May 2023, 9.30 service. Tim Davis speaking in the series, Learning from the Early Church, The Coming of the Holy Spirit. So, as we know, today is Pentecost. Happy birthday to the church. Uh, why do we say that? Um, do you actually know what Pentecost means? I was kind of thinking that when I was writing this talk yesterday, going, actually, what does Pentecost mean? It's quite obvious. Um, you imagine pent means sort of penty, five, fifty, within the um, sort of Greek, I'm not sure. But I was on the right lines. Uh, yeah, pentieth. Pentecost means 50th, um, because it's the 50th day after Easter Sunday. And it celebrates the birth of the church by the Holy Spirit. It's the climax, the liturgical year, because finally you know, we get to tell, tell the whole story of God's redemption of his creation. It's not because, you know, the description of the coming of the Holy Spirit in the passage we heard uh, reminds us of maybe like birthday cake candles uh, on the disciples' heads. It's not that. That's why we call it the birth of the church. Um, I always like to think, you know, what if it was like that? What if it all got a bit out of control, like this picture here? And... Uh, the apostles' heads really were like kind of yeah, out of control birthday cake candles. But that's not what it is, fortunately. No, it's called the church's birthday because Pentecost is when the apostles went out among the people and began spreading Jesus' message, thus establishing the beginning of the church. In the series we're looking at now, learning from the early church, it's this moment when the promised Holy Spirit arrives that I think we see the change it made to the apostles. And we see firsthand how God's spirit worked through them and through the fellowship, power, witness, and prayer of the early church, empowering them in ways they didn't know they could. 10 days earlier, Jesus had promised his disciples that they would receive power through the Holy Spirit and it would enable them to share the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection throughout the world. Awesome. He then promptly left them. Wait, not so awesome. Confused, scared, alone. The apostles are just gathered together in this one place, wondering what's going to be happening next, praying about it. And then something incredible happens. We hear this account that we had read to us just now of a sound like a blowing wind and the scene of what appears to be tongues of fire resting on each person's head. And suddenly they're all speaking in different tongues, all enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's quite an incredible image. And at that moment, they change. Something changes within the apostles. Instead of focusing inwards, protecting themselves, trying to be a close-knit group, fearful of outsiders, they turn and move in an outwards direction. The commotion coming from inside the place they were staying draws people towards them. And by now, you, know, you can imagine some of the people inside are starting to spill outside. And everyone wonders, you know, what's been going on in there? Are they having some sort of like mad party or something? And then Peter gets up to speak. 
deliberately left the reading at that moment for a kind of dramatic pause. Just to add dramatic effect, I'm going to come down here. Because Peter does something different. He got up and went into the crowd. Peter, who was too ashamed, too scared to testify and speak up the night that Jesus was arrested, instead is empowered by the Holy Spirit to deliver this incredible, powerful speech to people around him. And it's what's in this speech and the impact it has that I think teaches us so much about the importance of the coming of the Holy Spirit to both the early church and ourselves today. That's why I thought we'd look at it now rather than just hear it in our reading. And Peter, he speaks to the people, and before he says anything, he quotes a passage directly from the book of Joel. And it says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. That sounds awesome. Blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Wait, doesn't sound quite so awesome anymore. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's both inspiring and terrifying at the same time. What on earth was Peter thinking, this is how we announce like, the birth of the church? How on earth is this meant to explain to the people who are listening what had been going on? You know, I'd be even more convinced if I was there, thinking they really are partying quite hard if they're coming out with this. It's this strong, apocalyptic almost language, but it's necessary to understand the significance of what is a new creation at Pentecost. Uh, the whole of the book of Joel, uh, leading up to those verses that Peter decided to directly quote, is quite scary and depressing. Now, it's a book of only three chapters, but it's enough to make you feel incredibly uneasy. Now, you want to scare the children with a ghost story, read them Joel. It's great. What Joel was doing centuries beforehand was bringing the word of the God to the people of the southern kingdom of Judah sometime after King Solomon's death. And the people were struggling to be faithful to God. And he sent prophets to call the people to repent and gave hope to those who had turned back to God. The thing is, he's just that he did it with a really terrifying message. Um, just to give you an idea of it, right from the off in chapter 1, <clears throat> Joel warns about a terrible event, the likes of which have never been experienced by those alive at the time an invasion of locusts that devour everything. He says, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other, like seemingly there are, other locusts have eaten. Um, now, that may sound, when we think about it, a bit tame compared to some of the other natural disasters that we see happening in the world. But have you ever seen a swarm of locusts? Type locust swarm planet Earth into YouTube 
and you'll see terrifying footage of a billion locusts flying through the air on the constant search for food. An adult locust can eat its entire body weight every day. It's not picky, it will just devour everything, whatever vegetation it comes across, and it will move on, leaving nothing but bare stems and branches. No, if a swarm of locusts was going to destroy every crop in Judah, it would mean devastation, nothing to eat. And with no crops or vegetation, there's nothing to sell, and you can't buy food to eat either. There's nothing left for livestock to eat, so they too die. The entire economy, dead. Society, dead. The lack of food leads to starvation, which can mean civil unrest and famine, fighting over resources, and war between people and nations, and death. So yeah, it's a harrowing vision of what might come. And the rest of Joel continues like this until we get to later on in chapter 2, when Joel calls on the people to repent and perhaps avoid this impending disaster. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me, with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. There is this glimmer of hope because God moves when we turn our hearts to him. But even before we could do that, God had already moved in an even greater way. What has all this got to do with Pentecost? Well, hundreds of years later, we get this wonderful, moving, inspiring scene of the disciples and followers of Jesus returning to Jerusalem after he had left them, gathered in a room together where they joined together in prayer. Men, women, all together, joining in constant prayer, waiting on the Lord. They'd experienced sorrow at Jesus' death, joy and wonder at his resurrection, and then sorrow and confusion again after he had left them. But he had left them with a glimmer of hope, a promise that he would always be with them and send them a helper. When the promised Holy Spirit came, Peter was moved, compelled, it seems, to speak to everyone he could and with a sense of urgency, share the good news of God's redemption of mankind. For he knew the next stage in God's plan of salvation was coming now. He proceeds to tell the people there all about the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, of how he died for our sins. And the response, the impact it has, is incredible. The passages in Acts go on to say this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people were baptized. But most importantly, 3,000 people repented of their sins. That's one of the most important things about Pentecost that we seem to overlook a lot of the time. We get caught up in this wonderful spiritual phenomenon happening. But the Holy Spirit isn't just some warm, fuzzy feeling. It's something that convicts us. It's God saying, I know what's on your heart, and I know you need forgiveness. If we want to be effective witnesses for God, just as Peter was, then we need to be like those same people hearing the message for the first time and get ourselves right with God, seeking his forgiveness before we can be effective for him. The Holy Spirit is what we describe as the third person of the Trinity, equal in majesty and power to the Father and the Son, God, Jesus. And the Spirit is the means of love between the Father, the Son, and us on earth. And Jesus sends us the Spirit to remind us of what he taught us whilst on earth. Moved by the Holy Spirit, we can change the face of this earth. When we ask for the Holy Spirit, we receive the gifts of the Spirit, of wisdom, understanding, right judgment, of courage, knowledge, reverence, and fear of the Lord, which work in us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Can anyone finish this off for me? Awesome. We do learn stuff here. Uh, for those who weren't here, that was goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We looked at this last year. I'm glad uh, it's remembered. But once we're forgiven our sins and committed to God's service, then we too can be transformed, like those fearful apostles, into courageous witnesses for God. They received the gift to preach the gospel in all languages, and on that day, 3,000 people were baptized and converted. From those humble beginnings, the Church of Christ spread to every land, which is why we consider the Pentecost to be the birthday of the Church. And ever since, the Holy Spirit has guided and strengthened the Church and still continues to do so today. It's about repentance, but it's also about mission. That fiery spirit that filled Peter was the same one that had rested on Jesus at his baptism. No longer were they just disciples of Jesus who simply knew the facts about his life and his story, but rather to be a disciple of Jesus meant that they and our lives had literally to be taken up in the, I guess we could call the drama of God's redemption of his creation. A new age had come in, which we are all made part of, God's new time through his life and work of his son, Jesus. When Peter recites those wonder, description of those wondrous last days spoken of by God through the prophet Joel, and he recognizes him as in the here and now, 
a time that still continues to this day in which we seek to build God's kingdom on earth. At Pentecost, it's as if God created this new language. It's a language that is more than words. It's instead a community whose memory of its saviour, Jesus, creates this miracle of being a people whose very differences contribute to its unity. Each and every one of us. And we call this new creation church. And it's a call for each and every one of us. We don't change the world by going to church. We change the world by being church. The mighty rushing wind that gave birth to the church created a new nation. One that wasn't going to be limited by the constraints of the past. Because salvation cannot be limited. Salvation is God's creation of a new society, a new church that invites us, each person, to become part of a time that nations cannot provide. Nothing can limit the love of God and his salvation. His spirit, his gift to the church, is given to all. I think we can say the Holy Spirit is very much alive and active in our world today. The Spirit changes the world, bringing a new life into the world and gives many the gifts of prophecy and healing and prayer and teaching and many other forms of ministry. It reminds the church, all of us, of her mission, calling people into service and sending them the necessary gifts to carry it out. And the Spirit will work in each one of our lives too. It makes us receptive to God, teaching us to pray, and helps us to be there for others. St. Augustine described the Holy Spirit as the quiet guest of our soul. And so in order to often make sense of God's presence, it requires us to spend time in stillness and quiet in our busy lives the more receptive we are to God's Spirit in us, the more he comes to be the master of our life. And so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to spend a bit of time just in prayer, praying for God's Holy Spirit to come and fill our lives. And we're going to do it slightly differently, because we do things differently on Pentecost Sunday. And so if you're able to, I'd like you to invite you just to stand. And uh, we're just going to spend a short time praying in the Spirit, and particularly praying for those features of the Spirit that we'll be thinking about over the next four weeks. So let's stand. And we'll pray and ask God.